Hello and welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast, and uh, we're glad to have you back as the Blazers have kind of rounded into form here in the last part of the season. As always, I'm joined by our co-host, or lead host, managing editor Dave Deckard, and I should point out you can find us on Stitcher, on iTunes, and pretty much anywhere else for your podcast needs. I am your Blazers Edge co-host, Dan Morang, and while we may have had a little lull in between pods, we're back, and uh, I don't know if better than ever really suits it, Dave, but uh, the recent run of form for the, for the Trailblazers has definitely been better than uh, any time in the past, I don't know, eight months? Yep, they've been playing pretty well. It's been a nice box of chocolate with just a little bit of rat droppings right in the middle <laughs> in the form of the injury to the man who occasioned the turnaround. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic, of course, is out for at least a couple weeks. There are mutterings that that couple weeks things might be optimistic. They said he'll be reevaluated in a couple weeks. Uh, yes, does not mean he will. Does not mean he will necessarily play. <laughs> Your grades may be reevaluated in a couple weeks, but they Do may really still be a D minus. How many times has Greg Oden reevaluated? No, 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 no. You cannot, you cannot incarnate his name and link it to Nurkic. Totally different situation, of course. But it is kind of like... like <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. I mean, exactly. That, that's, that's really what this is. It's like... I, I'm struggling to remember the last time people were this excited about any particular player that didn't have any like levels of expectations around them. So... There's good expectations where, hey, you know, we draft player A and, and he comes in and does well. Awesome. Like Jared Bayless, the, the, there was, he had some big moments early on, but then it kind of, you know, waned and faded. But the one I keep going back to is the impact. Rudy Fernandez, like how crazy this city got for Rudy when he arrived, his style of play. And it, I don't necessarily think that it was as much to do with the box score as much as it was his emotion. And while Nurkic is certainly provided in a box score fashion, like Fernandez, his his emotion has meant so much to this team. Well, and the fan base, but it was as if the Blazers held a WrestleMania <laughs> and the injury bug was their hardy boys, could not have one without them. And here the music hit and there's an injury to the center. And, By God, uh, that's the Blazers the, injury music. That, that's right. By God, Jr. <laughs> that's the sound of a leg snapping. Oh, God. <laughs> it's just, uh, but that's all right. I mean, look, the good thing is that the Blazers all, I don't want to say they all have the playoffs secured. We'll talk about that in a couple <laughs> minutes. But they were in good position. They got their mojo back. And really that is what was missing. Now, obviously, they were missing the center play that Nurkic brings. Yeah, 15-10-2 is a pretty uh, substantial increase to the starting lineup. Even if people want to yeah. talk about what Mason Plumlee was bringing, it's a different level of 15-10-2. Right, with the low post and the et cetera, et cetera. But, look, the, the Blazers were flat. We've talked about this before. The Blazers, the, the entire season was just flat in a swamp. Yeah, and now they're not. Even without Nurk, they, they've recaptured that en energy. They have the sparkle in their eye, and they know what they're about. Now, it's too little too late to save the season entirely. We'll talk about that, too. But 
I, they're not going to lose that entirely. I don't think you're going to see them go entirely flat. So the NERC injury is devastating in a sense in that they're never going to replace that center. And now they're really shorthanded. What are they at now? I mean, no Mason Plumley, uh, no Ed Davis. Myers Leonard is also more or less injured. He's playing at what so, looks like 60% of himself. I mean, he's dragging his body up and down the court for 12 minutes a night. And even that looks difficult for him right now. Which, by the way, okay, let's talk about this. Let's take a left turn here for a second. You want to talk about repeated trailblazer memes through season after season. <laughs> okay, Damian Lillard is going to, if not go down with foot problem, at least lull, and then come December, back up. December, January post, of every year. Yeah, post-All-Star break. <laughs> Myers Leonard is going to deal with some kind of injury. Uh, the Blazers are going to play badly enough to where you're kind of shrugging about their performance at certain points, but they're going to finish strong and give you hope and make everybody say over the summer, after game number this 52, that was the real Trail Blazers, <laughs> right? And then... And then they're going to come out in November, December, January again and prove why the entire 82-game schedule ends up counting. I mean, Just this when is... I think you can't be the point dumber. is, this become reality. <laughs> yeah. You go out this and do is, something and totally redeem yourself. And it's just... Oh, God, it's so painful. It's like watching a sequel. It's like there was a good movie and then they're making sequels like Star Trek movies or whatever. You kind of want them to be good. They're kind of not but they're good enough, and then you grow to love them, and you see the good in them, and that's about where these Blazers are right now. But, I mean, you know, let's, let's, let's head back on task here. There's nothing arguable about six wins in a row. As we speak, they just lost to Minnesota by one point. We'll talk about that game in a minute. But let's talk about those six wins, especially the Houston Rockets win. I think that one was fairly uh, interesting. That one was definitive. Now, uh, before I throw it to you, let's remind people of this. The Blazers were 0-2 uh, against the Rockets this year, having given up 130 and 126 points They were to throttled in those games. They were never yeah. close well, in those games. No, never close. Throttle is a little much when they score 114 and 109, although yeah, the Trailblazers... Those were, those were make-up points, though, in, in the closing yeah. minutes. Those were games that yeah. were just blowouts for three and a half quarters. Right, and they won this one. I mean, what did you see in Houston? What did you like about that game? Uh, the Against defense was huge. The, the defensively, the work that, that Harkless and Turner and Aminu and collectively put in on Harden was incredible. Uh, Harkless had probably his best two-way game of the season. Um, he was doing things. It really reminded me of the uh, the Portland-Houston playoff series when Wes Matthews posted up Harden, what was it, like four or five straight possessions to start game two? They, they just made Harden work. Well, they did the same thing, except they did it with Harkless. They tried to, quote-unquote, hide uh, Harden on Maurice Harkless. All of a sudden, Maurice Harkless is posting him up, backing him down, scoring on him, and playmaking from the post. That's not something we've seen from Harkless really at all, and he was doing it like he'd been doing it for 10 years. So that was really huge, um, his play on both ends of the ball. Uh, Nurkic was everywhere. Uh, he was deterring drives. Vonley was rebounding. I mean, it was, it was just a crazy good basketball game. And for the first time, I think, I think it was probably Portland's best win as far as looking like a complete team of all season. Like the Denver game was probably more fun from an entertainment standpoint, but the Houston game was the complete 
deal. And I think that's where you saw Portland be playing at its absolute best against a top-tier opponent who was playing well. And really, they did their best to shut down the league's number one or 1A or 1B MVP candidate. So there's a lot to take in from that game. Yeah, I mean, Harden was 11 of 30. It, he scored 30 points, but took 30 shots. Also, 2 of 13 from the arc. So it was... It was a very James Harden night, but it was it was like bad James Harden. You have yeah. good James Harden, bad James Harden. Both of them are going to score twenty eight, but bad it's how James they go about Harden. Doing it. Yeah, it can be defended into irrelevance. And by the way, of course, Damian Lillard scored thirty one himself, so you have an answer for that. And then basically, the rest of the Blazers just took out the rest of the Rockets. It's not that they, the Houston didn't score. It's just that their scoring didn't matter because the overall energy and the overall game belonged to Portland. And that's exactly the inverse of pre-Nurkic Blazers. Pre-Nurkic Blazers, they were wearing Houston shoes where you get point production from people, but the game belonged to the other team. And, you know, I'm not sure Portland controlled that Rockets uh game entirely but they came a lot closer to controlling it against a team that's been successful this year than we've seen in the past it wasn't a game that you that you feared though you know what i mean we, like right. during the game when we talked about it this was a game that i figured that portland would probably lose it's just the way things had gone even as good as things were going for portland at the time it just didn't shape up as to be one of those games i mean you look at what portland's done yes Nurkic has made a, a world of difference but <laughs> the level that James Harden has been playing at and the level of offense that the, the Rockets have been putting together this season, that's not something, even with the addition of Nurkic, that you sit here and think that, yeah, you know what, Portland can, can overcome that. It's, it's just, remember, the one thing that we've often cited about Nurkic is as far as deficiencies go, and there's not like we've said anything too much negative about him, is he, you get him away from the rim, and it's definitely difficult in space. Well, what does James Harden do to you? over and over and over again. He puts you in pick and rolls above the free throw line. And when you've got three-point shooters at almost every position on that roster, it's going to make Nurkic come out. Yet the Blazers stayed true to their principles, and more so than any time this season, they were willing to, to, succeed, to succeed the two-point shot in the mid-range. They know that because the Rockets don't want that shot. There was a game this season where Mike D'Antoni, after, after a post-game conference, one of the reporters in the pool pointed out the, the shot chart. They, they had actually taken what was statistically, or mathematically, the most efficient shot chart in NBA history where they had every single one of their shots but two was a three or a shot in the paint. Two mid-range shots. That's it. Yeah, remind me of that game. Uh, it was a few years ago when I believe Andre Miller was with the Nuggets, maybe his second tour duty or something like that. In any case, Denver basically scored every point in the paint except for their very last shot. Now, their shot chart wasn't that great because they missed some outside the paint, but they just knew where they wanted to take it. And uh, and. and the Rockets are like that. I mean, this is a D'Antoni hallmark. Mm -hmm. They've got the veteran players to do it. But Portland played in kind of a veteran style, as you say, in sticking to their guns, which is impressive because a lot of times the Blazers would come out with guns, but they'd shoot them off like fireworks, and then the other team would just take them away. And the Blazers held on to their principles. And speaking of principles, 
one of the principles that's turned around a little bit recently, uh, and one of the memes from earlier of the season that is also inverted, is that the Blazers have no bench, and all of a sudden, the bench guys are looking, if not efficient, and I think they have been in many ways, uh, they're productive and they're making a little bit of an impact. It, that's the Nurkic effect. That's knocking everyone down a peg in the right way. There's something that you and I and a few others have discussed quite a bit this year, and that was who's the third guy for Portland? Mason Plumlee wasn't that guy. He was a fantastic role player, and like we've said before, probably one of the best bench bigs in the entire league. But what Nurkic has done and the way he's played, he's had, what, two subpar games since he's been here? Every other game has been a pretty dominant effect where he's been, right. you know, 18 and 10, 18 and 12 kind of game. And then he's had a couple monsters thrown in there. So all of a sudden, the guys that you're hoping get 12, 15, 16 points and have those good nights, they don't have to get that every single night. All of a sudden, CJ or Dame can have a so-so night and Nurkic can go for 33, and that's okay. I mean, you've, <laughs> You've got... Well, yeah, that's okay. But that's what I'm saying. is okay. There's a stretch. How many games have we gotten from Alan Crabb where he's gotten above 25 points in his entire career? Right, or Mason Plumley. Yeah, I mean, any of these guys, from Maurice Harkos, Alfred Camino, any of those guys. So when they get knocked down a peg on the scoring chart and the the, the reliability for production, I I think that, that everything you get now becomes an added bonus. And the way we put it was... Everybody outside the starting guards was pretty much two slots higher in the rotation than they probably should mm-hmm. be on a good team. Now, Nurk puts them down halfway. <laughs> they, they might be still one one spot higher. But, you know, Noah, as we said before, Noah Vonley has been stepping up a little bit, been playing well. Aminu's been doing well. Um, Turner has had a little mini resurrection the last couple games. Alan Crabb is still off and on, but the on has been more than the Very off. Good. I mean, so it looks like they have a credible bench and a semi-credible power forward for now. Uh, And all of a sudden, lo and behold, when that happens, the Blazers win. Uh, Not a huge surprise given their starting front court. They've always, or sorry, backcourt. They've always had that backcourt, but now the backcourt matters. Yeah, I mean, when you're getting 55 plus points, 10 plus assists from those two guys night in and night out, you throw in another guy who's capable of getting you 20 a night. Now you're talking about, you know, almost 70% of your production coming from three guys on, on, the, on the scoring end of things. You've got now Aminu, Harkless, Crab, Turner, and anybody else who wants to hop into that pile who can give you, you know, 15 to 20 points. Yep, and now we are fresh off just as we are speaking. The Blazers just lost by one point to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Where everyone else points. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, you still had you still had some bench production. You still had supporting cast production, but a oh, couple I'll things this, happened. Aminu had the best game of his season. I'll put it that way. Sure. I mean, and by the way, seven for fourteen from the field, four for seven from the three-point line, seven rebounds, five assists, three blocks, while pulling partial duty on Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty darn impressive. But what? I, what went right and what went wrong in the Minnesota game to kind of provide a post-Nurkic perspective? I mean, Carl Anthony Towns is a problem for 99% of the NBA. If you're missing your starting center, you're in trouble. If your backup center is at 60%, you're really in trouble. 
Now you're talking about playing your small forward who's playing up to power forward who's now playing center because your backup power forward is out for the season and your other backup center hasn't played a single day in a Blazers jersey. Did everybody get caught up on all that? <laughs> so, I mean, you come into that position and, man, you were in a rough spot. And now Carl Anthony Towns had a rough game when he came to Portland last time. I believe it was or 16 points and, like, five rebounds. It was not a good game. Uh, part of that was Towns just having an off night. The other part of it was the, the Timberwolves never, ever got him the ball. They did not make that mistake tonight. They knew that Portland was shorthanded. They knew the implications coming into the game. And unlike Phoenix, who just kind of slept walk through the first, you know, two and a half quarters against Portland, Minnesota came out ready to play. And Portland did not. They, they came out thinking that, that Minnesota was going to roll over and die. And Andrew Wiggins and Cat had totally different ideas to the contrary. Yeah, and you see a young team that's dangerous. Young team that, I mean, they didn't exactly have a lot to prove in terms of standings or playoffs, but they look at the Blazers and go, hey, we were supposed to be at least you this year, and we're not, but we're not going to let you get away with waltzing out of here without a fight. Uh, the dominant center matchup, as you say, no Nurkic means no way to guard Towns. Um, the guards don't come up, but the effort thing is is the part that got me. Uh, now, granted, it's a little nitpicky to say, okay, one game in seven, you get to kind of take off uh, partially. Uh, we can understand that in Blazerland because it used to be six games in seven. Yeah. At the same time, you're in a playoff race. If you want to win, if you want to be big boys, if you want to play in the big time, you've got to know that zero games in seven can go like that, that you've got to be on it. And some nights you're not going to score. Some nights the shot's not going to go in, but you've still got to fight fiercely for everything. And I still, even with this renaissance version of the Trailblazers, I still look at it and I say, your rebounding's good, your block shots are up, but the other team is diving on the floor more than you. You're still kind of got your, you kind of got your suit and tie on. You kind of got your, your fancy pants on. Maybe you need to get the hard hat on and get down there and make sure that you dig for these games because you never know when you might lose one by just one point. You, to be honest, this is the game that I expected against Phoenix. I figured that they would come out and, for lack of a better word, be lazy. Understanding that Phoenix is in full-blown tank mode and they wouldn't take them seriously, yet they came out in, in a you know blaze of glory and just ran Phoenix out of the gym for the first half. Um, Minnesota, though, they, they came out expecting, I guess, it to be like the Phoenix game, that they could just walk out and just hand it to them. And that first quarter... I, it's, it's not as bad as the New Orleans game. The New Orleans game was easily the worst game of the season. But that first quarter effort was atrocious. They, did, they, look, they look again like they didn't care. That was the January, December-ish Blazers team right there. And it was just ugly again. And I hate seeing that because the second quarter rolls around and lo and behold, there's effort. And the effort turns into steals, it turns into offensive rebounds, it, it turns into block shots, it turns into turnovers, it turns into easy opportunities, and you're just like, okay, you just outscored Minnesota by 14 in the period because you decided you cared for 12 minutes. Why is that not more prevalent throughout a 48-minute contest? 
Well, you know, I mean, this is a this is a Blazers hallmark a little bit. It's the difference between where they are now and where they want to be. Now, I'm not saying that Golden State and San Antonio never take a quarter off or play pristine basketball for 48 minutes every night, but they don't lose games a lot because they're sloppy or because of whatever emotion is going on with them or however they're viewing the game. They get beat, but when they're beat, they get beat. They don't give it away. The Blazers, I think, haven't made that kind of emotional, that kind of mental leap. In the regular season, when you're the eighth seed, eh, does it matter? No, I mean, you made the playoffs. That's good. You get rewarded. It's fine. Good. But what you don't realize is that in the midst of, say, a second-round series, when it's tied 2-2 two to two and it's crucial and down to, like, three minutes of play... Are those going to be the three minutes of play when you revert? Are those going to be the three minutes of play when you get discouraged because your shot doesn't go in or because the other team rips it away from you? You've got to be the team that always rips it away from the other guys. The Blazers outshoot, outrun, you know, in some ways out-rebound even, out-energy teams, but they just don't always come out and rip the games away. And I think, look... They're a 500 team right now. They probably should be more. And this to me is a, well, other than the roster, but even so, this, this is a big reason why. This roster probably could have won more games if they were there. I think the, the, that's the biggest addition I kind of go back to with, with Nurkic. It's his emotion, his mentality. That, I think that's what drove this team back into the, I don't know, the, the positive realm in that he is the engine that kind of drives his team in, in as far as emotion and I don't want to say effort, but it, it's, there's just something about right. him. It's, it's contagious. And there, there are two things about that. Number one is it's great to have a guy come in fresh who doesn't inherit the culture or the curses or whatever of your team who just comes in and says, let's go. And then you go, Oh yeah, let's go. But number two is that's the gonna, not going to last forever. I mean, they can't ride a wave of emotion to second-round conference final success. You win and get to the conference finals and the NBA finals because you win when you don't feel good. You win when you're not on top of your game. The Blazers still don't have that. But let's talk for a minute. Are they still headed for the playoffs? I mean, they, they lost Nurkic. Uh, they now they topped 500, by the way, they or got to 500. They beat Phoenix, uh, saw the the good side of 500 for the first time in a long time. They're back under by one game now. They have 39 losses. Denver has 40, but Denver also has two fewer wins. Are the Blazers still on an inside track? Do you still think they'll make the playoffs even without Nurkic? Mathematically, they're still there. Looking at 538, they have them as a 95% chance to make the playoffs. But games like tonight and a Nurkic-less, a Nurkic-less future uh, in the immediate uh, is not exactly good when you've got Minnesota one more time. Oh, and the biggest team in the league in Utah twice in a row. Yeah, I mean, that, that Utah is not just that they're playing well, because they are. They're big. I mean, the Blazers better find a way to outrun them, dart around them, you know. <laughs> oh, side yeah. To side you want to outrun the team that plays this, this was it second or third slowest pace in the league? Yeah, that'll work out well. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, though, you got to remember that Lillard 
Lillard doesn't care about Rudy Gobert. He, Ru- this Lillard is, very is Rudy true. Gobert's kryptonite because he just sizes up Gobert, goes up, under, around, through the legs of, does not matter. So I have some hope there. Uh, at least they'll win one of them. And, if, and to be fair, when we looked at both Minnesota games, we thought, well, they'll Blazers drop one of those. do well winning one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So they just did. They're not off course. I, I think they'll still make the playoffs, barring a, some kind of emotional collapse. Does it matter when they get there? Now, some people, okay, Houston TNT, first look at Nurkic Blazers like up close. Uh, Twitter was starting to explode with the, God, I wish I had a nickel every time I heard it. You know, this team could be kind of dangerous in the playoffs. It's like, take a drink. Someone's going to say it. Uh, are the Blazers dangerous in the playoffs in the least? Um, with a healthy, healthy Nurkic, they could steal probably one and a half more games than they would have otherwise. Uh, which was zero. Yeah. So you, you're so. maybe looking at a four, two series against the Warriors, but I think that's better than, than nothing. I mean, if you're going to get there, um, the, the whole argument for, you know, if you want to talk playoffs versus tank, blah, blah, if you're going to nah, get we something, can't do that. That's no, not no, it. I'm just saying nah, if you were, if you're going to get something out of the playoffs, you might as well get a win or two for Nurkic to at least get a little bit more experience to understand what yeah, it's like know. when, when, it's more than just a sweep or a gentleman sweep. You know, you're putting the onus on them to actually do something. You get playoff experiences from a loss the first time you lose in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. After that, you only get playoff experience from wins. And by the way, quality wins that propel you to a, a series win. Series. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And when you figure out how to win a game six that you've got to have or to put another oh, team God. away. You had to bring up game that, six, didn't you? Yeah, okay, never mind. Uh, <laughs> Who's the one bringing up move, the old stuff now? Let's move to the next question, but which let's, is... Let's yeah. touch on, on that yeah. last part, though. I mean, if you believe what's been said out by various reporters, there's a pretty common belief now that Nurkic isn't going to be back for the first round. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Golden State, I mean... Will they have a healthy Kevin Durant? They're talking about him being back tomorrow. Yeah, I know. So, if 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 we're talking who's healthier, it's probably Durant is healthier right now than Nurkic. So, maybe to Golden State will get in the playoffs and won't be able to get out of each other's way. Maybe it will come to a head there. (laughs) Although, we should be reminded that the Golden State Warriors did beat the Blazers last year without Steph Curry for the first few games. Yeah, first two games and then. What, what, it took overtime for the Blazers to get one? So Yeah, and Curry then came back and scored about 52 billion. Yeah, was it uh, and was uh, points in two and a half quarters? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was wrong. It was just wrong. A question now. Blazers, let's just assume they make the playoffs for the sense of assuming. Does the, did they save their season here? I mean, good vibes now in the last few weeks. From a PR Nerf sense, Nerf fever sure. and all that. I, I, think think so? it's, I think it's the only way that... The, yeah, because, I mean, it'll be just like last year where they're going to spin the narrative of, well, now we're going into the season with the big three. I mean, this this sounds a lot like when they lost LaMarcus and the new big three was Damian, CJ, and Myers. I mean, are we noticing a, a trend here? Damian, CJ, yeah. insert big here. Yeah, although Nurk is a good big to insert. I mean, Yeah, I mean, this is not yeah. a slight at Nurk, but... I mean, how much better is this team really? I mean, have, has Nurkic really gone all the way to solve all the Blazers' woes? 
But then they're like 13 and 6 with him or something like that. <laughs> you know, this. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm playing devil's advocate. I, I, I want to be excited, and I really am excited about Nurkic. I mean, you sat there with me during, during the, the Philadelphia game on Blazers Edge Night. I thoroughly love everything that Nurk brings to this team. But there's still massive questions surrounding the overall effort, the overall defense, um, how consistent you can get from the bench, financial flexibility. Uh, I mean, there's just there's yeah. just a ton that's still out there. But I mean, when you talk about save the season, that's going to be the narrative that's spun is that Nurk is the savior. Yeah, $140 million payroll still looms. And yeah. the season, I mean... The season may be saved, but the season's going to end with the, a likely first-round playoff loss. Long-term, did this change the course of the franchise? Again, the narrative is going to be yes, and I think there is a positive impact and maybe a significant positive impact from Nurkic being on board, but that's an awful lot to hang on him. Well, let me and, ask you this. And, by the way... When, yeah, when, when you're ahead. looking at this Blazers team... Let's let's say that instead of at 38 wins, they were at 48 wins right now, chasing 50, and they're in the it's a four-five battle right now between Portland and Utah. Let's say Portland and Utah matchup in the first round, and Utah wins that series. Does that change your outlook going forward? If that I was think the it case, w- if they still lost in the first round of the playoffs, I think it would because it would say by default that the Blazers were 10 wins better even without Nurkic, you know what I mean? That this lineup had some viability, uh, even without Nurkic on board. And I don't think there's anybody, had the Nurkic trade not happened, who would have gone into the offseason saying, this is still a viable rotation. Oh, God. It was no. dead. I mean... No, no. Yeah. That, that, now, some, they, took, they took that thing out back. Now, there, they there, get, there was no way. Anybody that was on that was I, crazy. It was the old yeller of lineups. Yes, that's true. But that said, uh, with Nurkic on board, is it more viable? Yes. Is it completely viable now? No. And where, again, does the wiggle room come to change that up? I mean, is it no? Is Noah Vonley the answer at power forward is one question. Can you carry Harkless and Aminu, as we've discussed, on the bench is another. What about Myers Leonard? What about Alan Crabb and Evan Turner and their enormous price tag? Um, how do you end up paying $100 million for five or six players uh, in a couple of years? Can you really do that? None of those questions have been answered. And how do you make the room to make this lineup better? Now, you're going to say three draft picks, three draft picks. We've talked about that before, too. You're going to luxury tax for just those draft picks, which tells you how little actual wiggle room the Blazers have right now. The first rounders are going to send them over the limit. And by the way, those are all three going to be second half of the draft first rounders. So you don't know that they're going to transform the team. So at some point, they have to find a way to dump salary and dump assets while still moving forward without taking on more of the same salary. That's, that's I, a difficult task. That's not safe. I mean, yeah. that's, it's, it's, you're asking an awful lot, and it's not like you have years to figure this out because Lillard and CJ are beginning the end of their prime, and Nurkic's deal is going to come up. And if he continues playing like this, the market for a center that can give you 18, 10, 18, 12, and 2 a night? Dame says 20. Yeah, I mean, his, his number was 20, 12, and 2. I'm, I'm just tampering expectations just a little bit so that if he does turn in, I mean, you want to talk about 
what he's capable of giving and what he's shown he's capable of giving, is there anybody out there who thinks he's not going to get max money? Right. So now... You have three max players. Yeah, $25 million for Dame, $25 million for CJ, $25 million for Nurkic. Remember, he's going to be part of the big group of of the the, uh, cap. So he's going to be closer to 30. (sighs) So, yeah. So, you know, we're pushing $80 million for three players. $80 million for three, three players. You usually field 15, and you usually have to pay about (laughs) nine of them. That was a a 1993 roster for an entire team right there. Yeah, are you kidding? The salary cap was sixty million a little bit ago. They oh. would have been in luxury tax for those three players up until about two years ago. So uh, yeah, I mean, this is—you've got to solve some of this. And by the way, you're eighty million for those, and you're still on the hook for like thirty-six million more for just Crab and Turner. We've talked about this before, but when you talk about saving their season and potential forward, the narrative is not going to tell you the whole story. And you can be super excited about Nurkic and still go, oy vey, uh, there's a bit more to do here. And Nurkic, in some ways, is going to compound that issue rather than solve it. But you know what? Let's, let's, end, on a, let's end on a good dub. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's, uh, we were talking uh, before uh, we went on air here, and we were talking about our best personal trailblazers moment because somebody had asked us, or asked me that in the mailbag, and I wanted to bring it up. And the story got relatively decent, so I said, "Whoa, whoa let's put this, let's put this in the podcast." <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll ask you, Dan Morang, first. Uh, I sorry, I don't remember the name of the person who asked in the mailbag. We'll try to credit you in the post, but just from a fan standpoint, from a you know followed this team, fell in love with it standpoint, what's been your best personal Trailblazers moment? All right, so this one's a, a little bit long. Is anybody who's ever had to read my posts or edit them, as you have, uh, can go a little bit long. But uh, it, it's what's one of my favorite stories and one of my favorite experiences, not just as a fan, but like as as, as a Blazer, but just overall sports fan. Um, Brandon Roy and I are, are, are pretty much the same age, so him coming into Portland coincided with the same time that I got out of the Air Force. And um, this is back in the time when there was the I'm a Trailblazers fan dot com and they had this contest for Brandon Roy's Rookie of the Year video. And I threw together a quick video, some highlights, synced up some music, and kind of put it all together. And the result was, you know, it was like a month or two later, I ended up winning like a 97% margin or something like that when they put them all up to vote for it. I was blown away by this. I was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. What I didn't realize was is that I was winning a opportunity to get game tickets, uh, meet and greet, sit down with Brandon Roy. Not like a just a typical shake hand, take a picture, but like an actual sit down, talk with him and, and hang out with him kind of a deal. Uh, it was an autographed jersey, and then I spent the uh, second half at the end of the Blazers bench. This is the last game of the regular season in the 2006-2007 season. So I get, you know, they come and get me, and they bring me down to the tunnel, and I'm literally on the floor at the end of the Blazers bench for the for, um, – the last game of the season. If I remember right, I think Travis Outlaw went for like 37 that game. Uh, he was starting in place of, uh, I can't remember who was out, but Joel Prisbilla. That turned, was good Outlaw. That yeah, was, that was good that Outlaw. Was like this, this was go ham annual, Outlaw. Yeah. One, of, one of the bi-weekly Travis has turned the corner moment. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll never forget it because Joel Prisbilla, all seven foot of him, used the top of my head as, as a armrest and just looked at me and smiled. Um, 
LaMarcus was a young rookie who was, was out too. He had had uh, surgery for his uh, his heart ailment, his Wolf Parkinson's white syndrome. And But I remember all the guys were just there like talking to me in the final couple minutes of the game. And it was just so surreal to be there among, you know, these giants. Um, and then I got to go spend some time in, in the tunnel and just talk with Brandon. And th- this is a guy who easily is my favorite blazer of all time. And it's weird because it was such a short time and Clyde Drexler was the reason that I fell in love with this team. But because we're the same age, but we, we, we're in such crazy different places. You know, here's this, you know, up and coming superstar in the NBA. And I'm just a guy who just got home from the military. You know, we're, it's two totally different worlds. And yet we kind of talked and, and bonded over these different situations where you're, you're going into unfamiliar territory. And it was, for me, just this in, really incredible just period of, of, you know, 10, 15 minutes where it wasn't the superstar or the star of the moment or, you know, particular phrasing or parsing things out. It was just two dudes having a discussion about basketball and about life. And it was, for me, it was just the, the coolest experience I, I could have ever asked for. And for that, I think that's probably why I, I still lean so strongly towards what Brandon meant to me and, and it's meant to this team and this franchise in this city and why I just do not tolerate Brandon Roy slander. <laughs> so you would be in favor of him having uh, beat Bill Walton in that other, uh, <laughs> that other network's poll of the oh, greatest absolutely. Blazers ever. Yeah. Yeah. No, Dwight, is, Dwight, Dwight's crazy. Uh, we're killing the end of the season. Here. Yes. You know, no, Dwight, <laughs> so, Dwight James is crazy. Uh, I know why people voted for Brandon Roy because he he brought this this franchise back to relevancy, um, and, and so much more. So yeah, no, it was it's true. I it, mean, it's to me it was, it was it was just what he meant to this team and this city. I think I've mentioned it on, on the podcast before. I spent time in Iraq and Afghanistan during the during the period of the jailblazers, so I wasn't really affected by it as much, um, but when I hear all the stories and see all these things and they're, I mean, they're popping up on the armed force network on AFN, you know, when they're, when they're talking about sports highlights, when you've gone to that point, when you've reached that low, that those kind of things are popping up. Um, yeah, it was, it was a good time to be overseas and, and not having to deal with it. So it was, it was cool to come home to, to Brandon and what he, what he did for this, for this franchise. I'll agree to this extent that, when Walton took the Blazers to a championship, which, by the way, was exponentially higher than Brandon ever took anybody. Granted, he had injuries, but so did Walton. Um, that the, the Walton took the Blazers higher, but they were in a way deeper pit when Brandon came along. I mean, they were they were in negative zone there. So it, it, I, I, I get it. I get it. Walton still means more ultimately for the franchise without Bill Brandon wouldn't have meant as much because the cult of fanship probably wouldn't have been as strong, but you know, but yeah, I, that that's a fantastic moment. I mean, my first moment with the Blazers when I was a little, little kid, I I think I've told this story on site before was uh, my dad, his company got, had tickets uh, right behind the opponent's bench and we got to go, and I, I loved the Blazers, followed them religiously, but you could barely see games on TV, and there was no way we would ever go see one in, in person. So I, when we pulled up to the Coliseum even, I did not think it was a Blazers game. It, I, I just did not enter my mind, because nothing like that ever happened to us. And uh, 
not only did we walk in and I saw the court and I was like, oh my gosh, is this real? And, you know, my parents nodded at me and it was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Uh, we went clear down and kept going down, 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 down those stairs right behind the bench. I remember uh, it was Larry Brown, I believe, was was coaching the Nuggets at that point. And uh, they had David Thompson and all those players. But I remember they were... <laughs> They started to swear, and then they looked around because me and my little sister, who was even younger than I was, were sitting there, and they tried to swallow it. They did. They just, <laughs> they were like, mm, is that? Mm, ah, ah, mm, mm. And it's like, they, they, a couple of them just turned around and glared, like, how dare children be brought behind the bench, and now we can't swear. But it's really, <laughs> a, it was really a classic moment, and the Blazers won. Um, I remember the opponent being very agitated. I mean, Brown was animated and the whole bench was talking up a storm, but I just credited that to the way the Blazers were going to beat them and they knew it. So uh, <laughs> actually, I don't think that was what was going on, but to my young mind, that was pretty fantastic. So I loved that moment. I guess my best single game moment was I was there for the perfect first quarter versus San Antonio. You love that one. Yeah, that's your, that's your go-to. Yeah. That's my, it is that that's the best because if you were there with everything it meant, there was really no better moment unless you could get in one of those playoff tickets, you know, season ticket holders that went to every playoff game. I get it. But for the common man, there is no better. I, I tell uh, you what though, I, I got to get this one in there. It's quick and short. Sure. One of the coolest regular season, meaningless, but awesome moments, Steve mm -hmm. Blake's 15 assists first quarter. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that well. <laughs> I remember that one because I had season tickets for a long time. They were good seats. They weren't the best seats in the house, but they sure as heck weren't bad. But for this game, um, uh, a buddy of mine's dad had given uh, me tickets to the, to the game, and it was literally right behind the Blazers bench. And I remember just looking up at the stat tracker up in the corner, and I'm like, He's got five assists in like the first three minutes. That's nuts. Then it was seven. Then it was eight. Then it was 10. Then it was 12. And you're like, okay, this is getting ridiculous. And the crowd just worked into a frenzy over what Blake is doing at this point because he's just dropping dimes. And the stat keeper is stretching to the point of imagination what a real assist is. <laughs> and you're getting, he gets to 15 and you're like, oh my God, did he really just do that? And in the back of your head, you're going, no, but I don't care because the scoreboard says he did. And by the way, 60 by the end of the game. <laughs> yeah, <me>. exactly. <laughs> Everybody's like, Wait, he's, he's goes... going to break Scott Skiles' record. I think he ended up getting like three assists the rest of the way. <laughs> yeah, but it goes to show you, though, there is still some validity, even this age of HDTVs and whatever, to being in the building. And this is why things like Blazers Edge Night is important, because oh, yeah. it's becoming increasingly difficult to get in the building, especially if you have a family. Uh, there's the access point is getting higher and higher. The means to get in is, is getting less and less. And it's still important, I think, to have those in-person moments. Oh, the, the thing with Blazers Edge Night. I mean, what, what, yeah. The way the crowd reacted with all those kids in there when Nurkic goes for one of the, the best nights statistically in Blazers history. Right, and that place was buzzing even before. And even yeah. with, you know, 
no no Embiid and the the, no the Embiid, matchup no Simmons it, yeah. it, it didn't matter it was the, the 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 environment brought by the addition of that many more kids than usual fueled by you know Nurk fever and then the the performance he puts on I mean that's a story like what we're talking about right now those are the stories that they're going to tell their kids and their grandkids 15 20 30 years from now yeah, exactly. And by the way, why one of the hallmarks of, of our site always has been, I mean, you can critique anything you want. There's nothing out of bounds as far as talking about basketball. But you remember that this is a human endeavor, that the players are human beings, that the interaction between the players and other human beings in the crowd and in the community ends up being the point of the whole thing, that there's no inherent value in dribbling an orange round ball. I mean, it just, in the cosmic sense, it means nothing. <laughs> that value comes in exactly what it does to the community around you. And uh, it's a fantastic, fantastic thing. And I'd say, let's wrap it up there. We were going to talk Oregon and Gonzaga and how horrible it is to be a fan because all your teams always lose. <laughs> but uh, let's let's leave it on a high note. Uh, forget the NCAAs. The Blazers are going to playoffs, and that totally counter counterbalances no national championship in Oregon or Spokane. Well, hey, we, got, we got Utah coming up tomorrow. Do we want to we want to preview that at all? Yeah, they better win one against Utah because if they lose both, <laughs> it's going to be difficult. <laughs> here's the Easier thing to is, review it. If Portland wins, here, here's here's a crazy stat. Um, if Portland wins tomorrow, they'll have won more road games than last year. Right. It, 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 it's I mean, the home. It's the home. Yeah, that's that's, that's what's weird. Yeah. It's the first time in a long time Portland has been atrocious at home. Yet Because it... And it's kind of the same thing. It's like, well, what makes home court advantage? It's not necessarily natural. It's that you tend to play with more comfort, more energy. You've, you've been at home. You slept in your own bed. The fans are behind you. You come in with a steely look in your eye. That hasn't been replaceable. The lack of it hasn't been replaceable for the Blazers this year. It doesn't matter what building they're playing in. But, you know, hey, again, it's back. And for now, that's got to be good enough, right? Let's let's hope it's good enough for at least one. Well, one playoff series, one playoff. <laughs> I'm, series. I'm just going That's game at a time right now, man. I'm just I'm just saying game at a time. I, I, I've... Oh, I'll think huge. I'm I'm thinking huge in Portland terms. I'm thinking eight seed. This is what. Okay, all of you said we're too negative. This is what I'm reduced to now. <laughs> Yay, eight seed. I really really want that eight seed. I don't I don't want to miss the playoffs. I want the four or five extra games. I don't want the 16th or 17th spot in the draft. I'll take 14th and uh, call it good. I'm just I'm not about just playing playing games against the basketball gods right now. Game at a time. I mean, I I allowed myself to get wrapped up in Nurk fever and now we've got a center who's out for the season. So I'm I'm just sitting here just bide my time. Okay, guys, one game at a time. Let's go ahead and stick to the uh, stick to the old nitty gritty and just. Yeah, all kinds of platitudes for from here on out till the end of April. <laughs> it used to be, it used to be, come on, have a winning record for the month. And now it's like, come on, win a game. No, actually, it's like, don't get hurt. Don't get hurt. <laughs> please stay healthy. <laughs> yeah, please. Exactly. Hey, but, oh, we should say also, happy note. Congratulations to uh, Damian Lillard, uh, Western Conference Player of the Month, uh, to Coach Terry Stotts, Coach of the Month. And he's now the coachiest of the monthiest uh, coach in Blazers history, I believe. He, he, so, the crazy thing is, is, this is Damian Lillard's first player of the month award. 
Yeah, that is. He's gotten Player of the Week uh, before. He's been but, All NBA, but he's never won a Player right. of the Month. That's. I mean, that that was surprising to me when they said that. I was like, hey, there was got to be at least some point in time when he won a Player of the Month. And I said it was right. the first time that a Blazers coach and player had won Player of the Month and Coach of the Month in the same month. You would think Which that would have happened with at least you know Clyde and, and Adelman, right? I mean, that would have been. Problem is that there are two different criteria. Player of the month, you tend to explode for stats, so really, really good players get it. Coach of the month and coach of the year are still expectation-based a lot, so you can get yeah, edged yes. out even if you have the best record. Yeah, it's why Pop so, doesn't win the coach of the year award. And... Yeah, coach of the month. Except Pop won it the year that Stott should have won it. <laughs> so, Because why? Because Blazer fan, that's why. This is probably you cannot hey, catch a we break. can't have anyway. nice things. That's working we're gonna end things on. We can't have nice things. <laughs> Except for you, Dan. Very nice podcast. And thank you so much, Dan. All right, guys. Well, that'll be it here for this week. And a reminder again, you can find us on Stitcher on iTunes and anywhere else for your podcast needs. For Dave Deckard, I'm Dan Morang. Thanks again for joining us and join us next week as we uh, hopefully we're reviewing some Blazers wins. Until then, go Trailblazers.